we go to our six week postpartum checkup and they're like, all right, you're free. Go ahead and do whatever you used to do. And you're kind of like, well, I couldn't do that yesterday. Why are you telling me I can do that today? Like there's no gradual buildup to this. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode 122 of That's So Maven. Before we jump into today's guest, I'd like to thank our sponsor, which is Imperfect Foods, also known as Imperfect Produce. They've recently rebranded as Imperfect Foods because they've expanded beyond just produce, so they are still providing amazing quality produce that might have some imperfections or maybe there was an overproduction or an issue in distribution. So they're still providing all of that when it comes to produce, but they've now expanded to include non-perishables. And in certain cities, they also have some perishable foods like meat and seafood that are available at a fraction of the cost. I'm a huge fan of imperfect produce. I think you've probably figured that out because I've talked about them a million times, but I get a new box every Monday. gets delivered right to my door. And I usually do a bit of meal planning a few days before because that's when I get an email asking me which produce and which foods I want to get in my box. And so I'll think up some recipes that I want to make that week and include whatever I need or whatever is available on their site in order to fill out my box. And then sometimes I'll go to the grocery store for other random things, but sometimes I don't have to go at all, which is amazing and super, super affordable. So if you guys want to try out imperfect foods for yourself, just head over to imperfect.com and you can use the code HEALTHYMAVEN at checkout and you'll save 50% off your first box. So I highly, highly recommend it. Definitely worth checking out. Now let's chat about today's guest. And it's very full circle for me to have Gina Harney from The Fitness Sista on the podcast today. I mentioned this in last week's episode in the outro, but Gina's blog was one of the first blogs I ever read. So if you take yourself back to like 2010 to 2014, that was kind of the heyday of healthy living blogs. And that's exactly when The Healthy Maven started. And there was sort of this feeling in the space where it was novel to be sharing moments of your life and choices that you were making to lead a healthier lifestyle. And this was kind of pre the evolution of social media. And so it was really cool to be able to follow along on people's journeys. And Gina is one of my biggest inspirations. And she was one of the people who got me to start my own blog, which is so cool. And it's amazing to have her here on the show sharing her story. She's still out there blogging and She's only grown and expanded the offerings that she serves her community with. So I'm excited to have this conversation with her where we really get into how things have changed, both in terms of blogging, but also in terms of health and wellness, because that industry has changed a ton. It's an industry in and of itself where it wasn't necessarily an industry back when she started. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you guys. And, you know, the tables turned a little bit also because Gina has a podcast herself. So she's used to being in the host seat. And so she actually asked me some questions and it just felt like a very natural dialogue. And I felt really comfortable being able to share these answers with her, but also with you guys. She's just one of those people who you just feel really, really comfortable around. So I am going to be sharing a little bit more about my decisions to go off social media, why I ended up doing it, and you know how things have changed since I am no longer on Instagram. And 
You're going to hear a little bit more about that because I haven't really talked about it here on the show. So I'm just going to stop talking here. I'll leave all show notes and kind of what's coming up over the next couple of weeks for the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. But with that, let's jump into today's episode. Here's Gina. Hi, Gina. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I was just telling you how much I was looking forward to having this conversation with you and how fun it was to kind of jump through your blog archives and go back in time. And I'm pretty sure I was rereading blog posts that I probably read like years before I even started The Healthy Maven, which is so crazy to think about. And I can't even imagine how you must feel about all of this. I know it's so crazy. And it's funny. I could, I was talking to Tom about it this morning and just telling him like, I was going to be on your show and I'm like, well, she's kind of like one of my good friends, but I've never actually met her, but (laughs) I've known her for a really long time. So it's just, it's amazing how things like that happen. The blogging space is so crazy and it's hard to describe it to people who aren't a part of it and how you like kind of know intimate details of somebody's life, but have potentially never met them before. And yet you have this instant connection just by virtue of the fact that you've shared a lot of your life with strangers. Yes, absolutely. Well, even when I meet people too, they're like, this is weird, but I feel like I know so much about you. And I'm like, I totally get it because I feel the same way about people that I follow online that I've never met, but it's really cool because you get to see their journeys and you find things that you have in common with them and how we're all kind of connected like that. Totally. So on that note, Let's chat a little bit about your journey because I'm very familiar with it. I followed along for as long as I can remember following blogs, but for people who aren't familiar with you, can you share a bit more about your story and kind of what your journey has looked like? Yes, absolutely. So I started the blog, it was back in 2008, so it's been 11 years. And I started it right after we had started moving around quite a bit. My husband was active duty military. And so that was a whole new world for me. And we moved to North Carolina and then we moved to Georgia. And I was just in this new space. I didn't know anyone yet. Um, I hadn't met any of the wives in our squadron yet and just kind of feeling lost. And I just started to really get into health and fitness I had lost 40 pounds during college, so had completely transformed my eating, started to fall in love with exercise in the gym, so I became a certified personal trainer. And I started the blog just kind of as a way to share recipes and workouts with my clients because they wanted more examples of things that they could do at home. And so I started it from there, but it was such an incredible way to connect with fitness-minded people all over the world, because I was at this point where I was just feeling very much alone. And I just wanted to find people who had things in common with me. So that's kind of how the blog was born. And did you have any sense of kind of what you were starting at the time and kind of how it would transpire over the next 11 years? No, not at all. And it was so funny, too, because like I said, I was alone. I was a little bored. I was shopping online quite a bit. And my husband would come home and there would just be more packages on the doorstep. And he was like, please just get a hobby. I don't care what it is. (laughs) So I told him I was starting a blog and he's like, perfect. It's free. Live your best life. Have fun with it. But I did not ever expect it to turn into anything. I thought it was just going to be just a fun hobby that I did for kicks and as a way to share information. I never thought it would grow or become what it has become today. 
And in terms of kind of your health and fitness journey, where were things at, you know, 11 years ago when you started the blog? Like, how would you have defined your health and wellness at that time? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So in college, I tried a lot of different diets and eating styles. I think a lot of us go through that when we're just searching to find what works best for us. But the thing that really worked well for me was the South Beach diet. It just taught me how to fuel my body. I didn't really know about lean proteins or smart carbs or healthy fats. So that really helped to teach me how to fuel myself. And so that was what I stuck with. And that's what I was successful with. But in that process, I also ate some Franken foods, you know, the like packaged diety foods, fake sugars. So when I started the blog, I was still eating quite a bit of that stuff. I put Splenda on everything, not so much a focus on whole foods as I do today, but yeah. And how have things kind of transformed for you now? I'm sure there's been many different iterations because, you know, no one's health journey or, you know, the way they choose to eat is just like, you don't just like pick away and tend to stick to it for the next Mm -hmm. like 50 years of your life. It tends to go in many different directions. So what directions has it gone for you? Oh my gosh, I've been all, all over the place. I think a lot of it stems from just reading so much and each different style of eating is so dogmatic. Like this is the one way to eat. And so I tried a lot of different things. I did raw veganism. I went to a raw vegan culinary school, which is really interesting. I ate vegetarian for quite a few years. And then I started eating meat again. I did gluten-free, dairy-free, lower carb. I've done macro tracking. I just have been this human guinea pig and just trying to try different things and see what really worked. But I found over time, I've kind of just really gone back to the basics, just lots of fresh produce, lean protein. I am eating more gluten-free and dairy-free right now, just because I have a gallbladder issue that I'm like dealing with right now. But, but yeah, I've, I've tried quite a few different things. And I think that story is so common. We're all just trying to find what works for us. And there's so many different options out there. And there's so many different people out there who are kind of touting how amazing those options are, which can be very true for them. Mm -hmm. And yet it may not work for us. And so oftentimes we become our own guinea pigs, which I don't think is the worst thing. I think it's really helpful actually to have the experience and to get in touch with what your body needs and decide like, yes, this works for me in this season of my life. Like in this season, you know, while you're struggling with gallbladder issues, it's helpful for you to be eating gluten-free dairy-free, but maybe that wasn't the case in the past. And maybe that isn't the case in the future because we don't just like pick one thing and stick with it. Absolutely. And our knowledge changes so much over time too, because when I was eating more vegetarian, almost vegan a while ago, I didn't know as much as I do now. So now I can eat more plant-based foods, but I know I need to take a B complex and I feel better. So just little things like that. Totally. So, I mean, a lot has changed in the health and wellness space since you started your blog. A lot has changed in even just the last few years. I'd love to talk, you know, from two perspectives, one being like how health and wellness in the industry has changed around you, but then also, you know, how the blogging space has changed and and keeping up with all of those changes. So let's start with kind of the health perspective over the last like 10 plus years, how have you witnessed kind of things changing in the health and wellness space, especially because you do have such a public platform? 
Oh my gosh, there's been so much that has changed. And I think a lot of it is in a good way too. I think a lot of it, as far as fitness goes, was focused so much on quantity, but people are really starting to learn the value of like high intensity interval training or just short workouts and listening to your body. I feel like it almost used to be this message of like grind, 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 work so hard. But now a lot of people are focusing more on recovery, which is so nice and self-care and low impact options and modifying and all of these beautiful things that we should have in our routine. And I don't know if maybe that was also due to my age at the time, because that was 11 years ago. And I think that people were just focused on this super hardcore mentality, but I do like how that has changed. And as far as nutrition goes, it's funny to me because I feel like it's almost come full circle Because when I first started the blog, everyone was very much into like low carb Adkins style eating. And then it got this push more towards plant-based eating and then gluten-free and dairy-free and then eat carbs because you need carbs to fuel your body. And then you started seeing more moderate carb type diets. And then now everyone's on this keto kick. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like we've just like jumped back to Atkins land. So it's just, (laughs) it's kind of funny how that happens. It's literally like Atkins rebranded. Oh, 100%. It's kind of funny. 100%. And yeah, we, we sort of fall for these trends, even though like it's so clear what's happening and how things kind of go up and down. Yes. And, you know, there are certain people who are very quick to like adopt these trends. And yet like it's not the first time it's been here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So in terms of blogging, like even in the seven years since I've had my blog, things have changed so dramatically. You know, I'm going back into older content now and seeing ways in which I could like make it more valuable or deciding. I mean, I'm not someone who deletes things. I'm a true believer that like what I put out there, I got to own. And there are things that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have written and shared, but (laughs) no regrets there. But things have changed a lot. So since you started your blog 11 years ago, how have things changed? Oh my God. Well, I power to you for keeping all of your posts live because I think I've marked like three years of content as private (laughs) because I just like, I can't look at it anymore. Um, My pictures were so bad and so blurry. And I had this little digital camera and I thought that the pictures looked better if I got really close (laughs) to the object. So we're all these just like brown square blurry photos. So I think definitely the value of the content that's being produced now is just incredible just these beautiful photos and videos and really solid content and I do obviously think the industry is more saturated now than it was back then but I think that's in a good way because everyone's working so hard and creating such amazing content so I feel like it inspires me I do kind of miss the good old days of blogging (laughs) when you could just plop down and write a post within 30, 40 minutes. And it was just a story about your life or something funny that happened. And it didn't have to feel so curated. So I do miss that. I miss that too. Do you think that social media is part of the reason why that has kind of dissipated? Yes, I do. And I think it's unfortunate too, because now I feel almost like I don't know what to post on social media because people say that they like real life. But if you post a real life photo, it's kind of blurry. It's not, it doesn't look as nice. So when you're they scrolling through. They don't actually through, like it. Exactly. It's, it's the weirdest thing. It's like people want real, but when you post real, they want 
beautiful curated. <laughs> exactly. But then when I feel like I post beautiful curated, it takes me forever. It's so much pressure. And then totally. it kind of falls flat sometimes too. So I just, I feel like I'm throwing noodles against the wall and I don't know what's going to stick <laughs> with social I media. I feel the exact same way. Whereas with blogging, it's almost like there was this, this barrier in between you and your audience that was kind of self-protecting mm-hmm. in a way. Whereas I feel like with social media, you're just throwing yourself out there and hoping for the best. And it's it's pretty vulnerable. Yes. And I almost feel like sometimes it's too vulnerable. Like everyone mm-hmm. wants to be vulnerable, but it's like, it's, I don't even know. How is your Instagram break going, by the way? Yeah, it's going really well, actually. It feels amazing. And you know what's funny? Having this conversation around kind of the good old days of blogging, I've been able to find that since... taking a break from Instagram. I'm now back to like creating content that inspires me and also creating content that is valuable for my audience. And literally there has been no effect on the blog whatsoever by not being on Instagram. And that has been hugely eye-opening for me. That is incredible. What about with brands? Because a lot of brands now, I feel like only want Instagram. And I'm like, hey, please let me post this on my blog because there, yes. there are people there actually, but they only want Instagram. How do you navigate that? I, You can tell you're a podcast host too, because suddenly the tables have oh, turned sorry. here. <laughs> but like, I want to know so many things. Sorry. I know. I know. So I will say there has been a very dramatic effect in that area and it's not pretty. And it's been really hard for me to come to terms with, mm-hmm. but I also have never felt good posting things on Instagram, like promoting something and asking people to like go out and buy it. It just has never felt comfortable for me. Mm -hmm. And I feel so much more secure in my worth and my value and continuing to be able to offer that on the blog. There are some brands that understand that and see that value. Mm -hmm. And there are most brands that don't. But I'd like to believe that we're all going to get there at some point. Like, I don't know if I'm an early adapter here and maybe that's wishful thinking, but I think we're all just kind of getting a little overwhelmed with social media and going back to like focusing on the blog, both as a creator, but also as a reader. Like I'm on my blog reader and I'm engaging with blogs in a way that I used to do five years ago. And it's so interesting and inspiring. And I don't feel shitty about myself, which is pretty amazing. (laughs) Yes. I love that so much. And like, I try to explain to brands too, like for SEO purposes alone, a blog post is going to be so much more successful than an Instagram post that a couple of people see, and then it's gone. Totally. And that is what I find most mind blowing is things perform infinitely better on the blog than they do on Instagram. But people want that quick fix. They Mm want to see those numbers jump in like a 12 hour time span yeah. because they have deliverables. Whereas like with a blog post, it isn't always a guarantee that at the start, it's going to get a lot of views or it's still going to get substantial views, but there's that potential that like six months down the road, it could spike and go viral. There's just so much more opportunity there for long-term success. But I feel like at this point, brands are so focused on that short-term success mm-hmm. that they tend to go for these like easier, quick return platforms. And I'm like banging my head against a wall trying to communicate that to people. (laughs) Oh, man. Hopefully it'll change around eventually. I I hope so. I really, I do miss those good old days. And I don't know if it's wishful thinking, but I'm really hopeful that we can all get back to a place where we can engage with other people's lives and take that inspiration from other people without it having to be 
so in your face, so curated and just, it makes you feel worse about yourself. I can't fully explain it, but there's a difference between like sharing something personal on a blog and sharing something personal on an Instagram account. I don't know what it is, but something just feels different and sort of more protective, but also it's just more helpful. Mm -hmm. I think when it's written in a long form blog post format, whereas if I were to give I don't know, advice or something on social media just feels, I feel like I'm trying too hard. Yes. Well, and you're constrained to that text requirement. So there's right. always so much more I wish I could say. And a mm-hmm. blog post just does a better job of doing that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I want to get back to you and your journey. Okay. So something that I've loved about your blog is that you've been really open about your fitness journey and especially like pre and postnatal fitness. You've had two kids, you've documented all of that. So how come you decided to be so open and share your postnatal fitness journey? Yeah. So this was something that was so interesting to me because I've been a personal trainer for 10 years, nine or 10 years now. And literally in our textbooks, it's maybe one fourth of one chapter that you learn about is postpartum training, which is bananas to me. So I didn't learn anything about this until I was going through it myself. And even I taught at a health resort when I was pregnant with Olivia. And I remember asking my coworkers for like the down low. I'm like, Hey, is this safe? Hey, what should I be doing? Because it literally says nothing about this here. So I just found myself researching, doing as much as I could. And even still after my first birth, I think the problem is we go to our six week postpartum checkup and they're like, all right, you're free. Go ahead and do whatever you used to do. And you're kind of like, well, I couldn't do that yesterday. Why are you telling me I can do that today? Like there's no gradual buildup to this. And also like, you don't know what I used to do. Like maybe I was a ninja, you know, like you don't know. (laughs) And so there's just a huge lack of information, lack of guidance as far as getting back into it safely. And after Olivia was born, I pretty much jumped right back into things because I had to start teaching again. I took this Tabata, like high impact interval class, I think at six weeks postpartum and looking at that now, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. Why did you do that? So it was a very long learning process. I wanted to make sure that I was sharing everything I was learning along the way. And then after Penelope was born, she's going to be four next month. She was 10 pounds, 13 ounces. So she was a big baby and I'm a short person with a short torso. So I literally had this sideways watermelon like sticking out of my body (laughs) and I had severe abdominal separation afterwards. And like there were pelvic floor issues that I experienced, just a huge tax that my body felt from carrying and delivering a baby that was the size of a toddler. (laughs) So it really switched my focus to sharing info about postpartum training because like I said, there's just not a lot of information out there. And I wanted to share as much as I could with other mamas. Honestly, the first time I had ever heard of ab separation was on your blog. I'd never heard of it before. And that's probably because I'm not in that season of my life. And I certainly wasn't four years ago. So can you chat a little bit more about what that means for anyone who's maybe pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant or maybe experiencing it themselves? Yes, absolutely. So the funny thing is, it's so common. But like you said, you don't hear a lot about it. So it's 
it's just crazy. Like I think they say up to 90% of pregnant women experience some degree of abdominal separation and it's called diastasis recti. And basically what it is, is you have this connective tissue that runs from your sternum all the way down to your pubic bone. And it's basically in between your rectus abdominis and those are your outer abdominal muscles. So that connective tissue has to get thin. It has to stretch out because your belly is expanding. So it has to make room for the baby. So after a baby's born, everything just is working to come back to homeostasis. Everything's working to come back to center. But sometimes that connective tissue in the middle is so thinned and so stretched out. Some women have a harder time with it restoring itself. And basically, that's what happened to me. Like there is a biomechanist that I love. Her name's Katie Bowman. And she has amazing books, a great website. It's called Nutritious Movement, but she's kind of my go-to gal for all of these things. But basically what she says, sometimes that connective tissue becomes like an old sock. So you put the sock on and that elastic is just like flopping down to the floor and there's nothing you can do in situations like that. And that's pretty much what happened to me. I did eight months of consistent physical therapy and I was like the best patient ever. I did my exercises every day and I narrowed that gap a little bit, but I still had to have it surgically repaired. And the thing is too, like, it doesn't really matter how far of a degree of separation is. They usually say wider than two fingers is considered diastasis, but it could also be measured by the depth of the gap that you still have and also by loss of function. So some women will feel really bloated, like their stomach is almost distended a little bit. Some people call it like mummy tummy, where you still have that kind of pooch after you give birth can cause like low back problems, pelvic floor issues, like incontinence, things like that. Wow. I mean, it's something that I have never heard of and to hear that so many women are affected by it. So it's not something that you can necessarily repair on your own, or is it like, it depends on the degree at which you have it. It depends on the degree and it depends on your body and the connective tissue strength. There's so many different things, but you can absolutely repair it. For a lot of people, it repairs itself within six to 12 months after giving birth as everything goes back to center. But the main thing is you really want to make sure to watch it on the abdominal exercises. So a lot of times when the doctors are like, all right, go back to your fitness routine. We're super excited about it because we haven't been able to work out for so long. So you want to go for it. But in that, you'll see a lot of women doing like crunches and sit-ups and leg lowers and lifts. And what that does is it creates a lot of intra-abdominal pressure. So it's like your body's like a pressure cooker. So when you do exercises like that, it's pushing everything out. So you want to avoid those types of core exercises because we're trying to get everything to go back in. Totally. And it's interesting. Those are very similar recommendations. I teach prenatal yoga and like we stay away from any abdominal work during prenatal as well. And so it makes sense to me why you wouldn't just jump right back into that, you know, soon after having a baby. Yes, absolutely. Because while you're pregnant, you could do things that could make the degree of separation worse by doing exercises like that. So that's super smart. So what are some of your other recommendations for women who have just had a baby and are looking to get back into a fitness routine? Yeah, I would absolutely just say to take it slowly. Walking is one of the best things that you can do postpartum. You can walk with your baby in the stroller. Um, There are a lot of really good, safe 
core exercises that you can do to kind of restore everything back to center. I actually have a guide for postpartum core training. I'll send it to you if you want to pop that in the show notes for anyone who wants to take a look. And um, I have some resources on the blog too, but I'd really focus on keeping things low impact because anything you do that's high impact, like jumping, plyometrics, sprinting, running, that's going to be creating downward pressure on your pelvic floor. And after you give birth, everything, even if you feel good on the outside, there's still a lot of internal healing that has to transpire. So I'd watched on the impact, like my good friend, Jess, she's an incredible physical therapist, but she always says to avoid impact for 16 weeks postpartum, which for some people feels like an eternity. (laughs) It's like the longest time ever, but it's like, you could rush it and do all these crazy things, or you could wait and not pee your pants when you work out. And that would be a good thing. Yeah, that sounds great. Sometimes (laughs) I feel like I'm going to pee my pants and I have not had a baby, which we've had many conversations around the pelvic floor here on the show. It's like my favorite thing to talk about because it's like the number one thing women don't talk about, but should be. Yeah. And it's, pretty mind-blowing kind of the effect of the pelvic floor pre-pregnancy, but especially post-baby. I mean, that's something that you really, really want to be conscious of. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it feels like you're waiting forever, but it's so worth it just to let everything heal. And if you can wait nine months for a baby, I think you can wait 16 weeks. I think. I don't know. I've never been there, but I'd like to believe that it would be worth it in the end. For sure. And there's so many safe options you can do instead. Totally. So another topic you've been very open about, and I also learned about through you, Mm -hmm. is you had a breast augmentation and then eventually had your implants removed. So I would love to hear a bit more about that journey. And I'm sure there are people listening who would find it very interesting and super helpful. Yes, absolutely. So I had them put in, oh my gosh, I think it was 13 years ago. I was in college and at the time it was the best investment I had ever made. I paid for it myself. I was super pumped about it. I had a benign tumor taken out of my right side the year prior to that. So I just felt uncomfortable and kind of like lopsided. So I was stoked to be even again. And I've always been really small chested, like an A. So like, yes, like I have boobs now. I was so excited about it. And they stood the test of time. They looked great. I was very happy with them. But I think it was when Penelope was one, one, probably one or two, I started to feel this like burning sensation in my chest. And I went to a plastic surgeon here in Tucson when we were visiting. And I just said, Hey, would you mind taking a look at these? They've been hurting a lot. And he told me that they still looked good and that he would recommend leaving them alone and that it was probably just hormones and that I would be fine. But the burning continued to get worse and worse. So over the next year, I felt horrible all day. Like I would have nightmares about ripping them out from underneath my skin. Like I would have dreams where I would just like take them out of my body. And I told my husband, I'm like, I really think I need to just get these taken out. And he was like, well, do whatever you need to do because he could see how awful I felt. And I talked to one of my naturopathic doctors and he said that the burning is a big inflammation sign. So he said that my body was rejecting the implants and he said that he would recommend taking them out, which I was already thinking that was probably the best answer. So I had them taken out and I feel a thousand times better. And yeah. 
Is this something that's common, you know, and that we're just not talking about? Did you find out more information about kind of what was going on? Oh my gosh, yes. So my best friend makes fun of me because I'm like a Dr. Google maniac. I love to Google all the things and diagnose everyone I know, basically. And I did a ton of research because it was very confusing to me why this was happening. And I also felt very fatigued while the burning was happening. I felt like I couldn't make it through the day most days, which is really strange. I usually feel great. And midday, I felt like I needed to take a nap every day. And I was just cranky and feeling horrible because my chest was on fire. So I did some research and I came across this Facebook group and I think it's called like breast implant illness and healing with Nicole. And there are like 30,000 women in there all talking about how their implants have caused significant health problems. So that was very eye-opening to me because I didn't know that this was so common and just reading through their stories and about how so many of them had thyroid issues, autoimmune issues, depression, fatigue, these weird skin rashes, and then having them explant, their implants were taken out and they felt so much better. And they posted like before and after photos and you could just see like their skin looked bright again and their eyes looked bright again and they looked so much healthier and they're like, I feel so much better. And that was kind of the thing to convince me to go for it. It also helped me to find my surgeon because it's important to find surgeons who know how to take them out correctly because the implant, your body creates this capsule around the implant. And basically what that's doing is protecting the rest of your body from that invader. It's like scar tissue. Mm -hmm. So certain surgeons know to take that entire capsule out. So they take out the scar tissue with the implant. And was this something that you knew about when you got your implants put in? Or is this something that we've since discovered in like the last few years? I think it's newer. I'm not really sure. But I just remember I asked my surgeon when I had my implants if there were any potential health problems that could arise or if I'd ever need to get them replaced. And he said, no, they're going to last you your whole life. And when this started happening, I discovered too that they actually don't recommend that you have your implants for longer than 10 years. They need to be removed or replaced every 10 years. And I had no clue about that. And there's also some more recent news coming out about certain types of implants. I know that the texture to gel silicone implants have been linked to lymphoma. So there's just like a lot of sketchy things that are starting to come out about them. And oh my gosh, some of the women would post their implant photos after they had them taken out of their body and they were filled with mold. <sighs> yeah. Oh, that freaks me out so much. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Oh, oh my gosh. Mine were clear when he took them out, but I was terrified because yeah, there's some pretty horrendous stuff in there. <laughs> So now that you've had them taken out, how does it feel? I know you're feeling better, but obviously you wanted to have implants put in for confidence and, you know, for whatever reasons that you wanted to have them put in and everybody is entitled to make those decisions. Yeah. But then to go back, how has that felt for you? I think it's so much different now that I'm older and I kind of just like, I don't care as much, <laughs> you know, like I, it just made me realize how valuable health is and how valuable it is to feel great. And I felt terrible with them in. So I was kind of at the point where I was like, I don't care what I look like, like just get them out. But he, he did a lift. So like, I feel like they're small, but they're perky, you know, and I feel like they suit my body. I definitely still feel 
a little self-conscious when I'm wearing a swimsuit. <laughs> like I told my husband, I look like a child gymnast when I wear a one piece, <laughs> but like, I'm so happy. I, I don't really care. And I feel like it's how my body was designed anyway. So it works. Totally. And sometimes we have to go through that journey to figure it out. And like you said, just like getting older, you kind of stop caring about those things. Like yeah. what used to plague me, like when I was in my early twenties, just it just doesn't bother me anymore. I have my days, but mm -hmm. there are certain things where I'm just like, I don't have the mental capacity to worry about this anymore. Totally. Like it doesn't matter. And I feel like with the girls too, having gone through this, like I have such a great story to tell them later if they ever think that they might want to get implants. I can tell them like, hey, I got them. They also made me very sick, you know? So I think it's just something that I went through, but I'm glad for the experience. Totally. So by nature of the fact that your husband is in the military, you have moved around a lot. And if anyone has followed your blog, they know you've moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. How has that felt to kind of not necessarily have a home base? Um, it's definitely challenging. I, I feel like it gave us the opportunity to see so many places we wouldn't otherwise see. It gave us the opportunity to just kind of be our own little family and experience things together without depending on other people all the time. But I definitely missed being around the family. That part was really hard for me. It also felt hard for me not to have a say or have any control in where we ended up. So that was always kind of difficult. But I was just talking to a blog reader that emailed me about this a few days ago. And I just said that something that really helped me was just to look at everything. Like it's an adventure with the girls. Like this is an adventure. Like let's go see what kind of great kid-friendly things we can find, what fun restaurants we can find, what cool road trips can we plan? So that was something that always helped me. And have you found that being in the health and wellness community and also being in like the blogosphere has helped at all with those moves? Absolutely. Because I feel like I have my my friends with me wherever I go. So that's been really cool. And I feel so grateful for the blog too, because otherwise there's no way I would have been able to hold a more traditional job. So many of my friends are lawyers or massage therapists or teachers or nurses, and it's been so hard for them to transfer their licensure when they move states. So I just feel really fortunate. I know that they are changing the laws on that. I think that they're going to make it for military spouses that you can transfer state to state without problems. Thank goodness. But I feel like it would have been really challenging for me. Definitely. So I get this question a lot and I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. People ask me all the time what I think the future is for blogging and social media and kind of what I see my next five to 10 years looking like. And I have my answer, but I'm curious to hear yours. Oh my gosh. I have no idea because pretty much every year I tell Tom, I'm like, this is the year the blog dies. <laughs> you know, like I never know what's going to happen. And then a year goes by and I'm like, oh, we're still here. <laughs> we're still cranking along. But I do kind of see it reverting back to like we were talking about the good old days style of posting. I'm starting to see more like day in the life style posts, which I really love. But honestly, I have no idea. So I would love to hear your your predictions. I have a similar answer. Like I have no idea. I mean, seven years ago when I started the Healthy Maven, I 
had no clue that I'd be sitting here right now. I never saw what the future of the blog had. I never saw how social media would kind of explode. I never saw myself with a podcast. I had no clue where things were going to go. So I constantly have to remind myself that like I cannot predict Mm -hmm. what the next five to 10 years look like. What I do know is that because of the experience that I've built and because of all of these different opportunities that I've had, I've learned so much and those skills are applicable to like so many different opportunities out there. And so I have a lot more confidence now than I did in the past that like, you know, should I decide to shut down the blog or that all of this is just going to self implode, which I don't think that's true. But (laughs) people talk about how this bubble is going to burst. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like I know that I have a pretty a pretty solid skill set that goes across so many different domains. And that's valuable to so many different potential career opportunities out there. Absolutely. And I feel like people have been saying the bubble's going to burst for like eight years now. Right. So if it was going to burst, I think it would have happened already. But like you said, all of these skill sets can be transferred to so many different things. Like we could do so many other things. Like I know how to edit podcasts. I know how to make photos in Canva, like just all these random skills that you have to collect to have a blog and have your social media. And I also think it's important to diversify too. So I think that that's always given me a little bit of just reassurance that it'll be okay because I have all these different revenue streams coming in that just kind of protects each other, you know? Totally. I think also it's something that for anyone who is looking to get into this space, understanding that you can't just like develop one skill set and stick with it. Like you have to be okay with adapting and that new things are going to come up and you're going to have to learn how to do them. And so long as you maintain that perspective that there is always more to learn and being open to learning those things, I think you can be really successful in this space. Absolutely. And also just not depending on one thing. Like I see so many people with these enormous Instagram followings and then they don't have a website. And so I think to myself, what are you going to do if Instagram dies or crashes or goes away? That will all go with it. So it's just making sure that you diversify and not depend on one thing as much as possible. Totally. I couldn't have said it better myself. So for people who are interested in learning more about you, following your journey, where's the best place to follow you and get that information? Yes, of course. So my website is fitnessista.com. So it's F-I-T-N-E-S-S-I-S-T-A. Dot com And my Instagram handle is at fitnessista. And I would love if you came over and said hello and connected with me over there. You definitely should go follow her and support her. Honestly, Gina, you have been such an inspiration to me and it has been amazing to be able to follow your journey. And I'm so grateful for all of the information that you've shared. I've learned so much from you. So I truly am so grateful to have you here on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. It was so amazing to finally chat with you and hopefully I'll get to see you in real life one of these days. I would love that. (laughs) So there you have it. Huge thank you to Gina for coming on the show today and for sharing more about her story and for being so open and honest and transparent about just about everything. I know I've learned a ton from her just by the fact that she's willing to share a lot about her life and that requires a lot of courage. And I don't think people give content creators and bloggers enough credit for how willing they are to put themselves out there because, you know, we kind of take it for granted sometimes. And I obviously understand her perspective, but I'm also somebody who reads blogs and participates in the content creation world as a user. 
I know I'm really grateful for people who are willing to put themselves out there. So big props for Gina and everything that she's doing and sharing. And now just a few notes for you guys on things that are coming up. Lots happening over on the Healthy Maven. Also, a lot of videos have been going live. I'm almost done my Clean Beauty 5x5 series. I only have two more videos left, which is crazy that I started it back in January and I'm still going with it. But the last two are eyeshadows and lipsticks. And then I'm going to be doing a full review of all of the Clean Beauty products that I tried this year and which ones came out on top. So I'm excited to share that. And then lots of good stuff coming out on the Healthy Maven. A lot about sustainability as well as about mental health. I shared a really important article and something that's kind of near and dear to my heart about how to find the right therapist for you because I know there's a lot of misinformation out there. And it can be hard because, you know, finding a therapist isn't necessarily the most comfortable thing to do. It's kind of like dating. And like once you find a great fit, it's awesome. I mean, it's still hard. Don't get me wrong. Therapy is never like fun and easy. If it is, then that's great. But generally, it's not But, you know, the process of finding that person who is the right person for you, who can help you get through your stuff, that's challenging. So hopefully that can be helpful for you guys. So as always, if you want to head over to thehealthymaven.com, you can find all of that there or sign up for my newsletter. I send out a once a week email letting you guys know when new articles are out and stuff that I've written, as well as links to the Clean Beauty Shop so that you can shop around there and find all that good stuff that I talk about over on the blog. I think those are all the notes that I have for right now. So coming up next week on the show, I have Jara Foster-Fell, and she's going to be sharing a little bit more about her journey from becoming a soul cycle instructor to deciding that isn't her dream anymore and shifting gears as well as body positivity and managing stress and anxiety when it comes to social media. So in some ways, it's kind of the opposite conversation that we had this week. And that's something that I really appreciate about the show is that we can look at things from all angles and all perspectives and realize that, you know, people's relationships with their bodies, with social media, with their relationships in general look so different and what's healthy for one person may not be healthy for somebody else and vice versa. So excited to share that episode with you. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure you leave a review on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. And otherwise, I will chat with you again next week. Have a good one. Bye, guys. 